Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to experience the Gut Check Project, talking science, health, and innovation that you can actually use. But this isn't just another health show. We're here to have fun and make your time enjoyable. Well, while you are enjoying yourself, know that even though the GCP covers some health topics with healthcare pros, we are not your doctors. So use our show to entertain your mind and not for medical advice. And now, here are your hosts of the Gut Check Project, Dr. Ken Brown and Eric Rieger. Hello, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family. I'm your host, Eric Rieger, joined by this guy, Dr. Kenneth Brown. Ken, it's episode 99, and I think we've got some stuff to talk about. We do. We're going to get a little bit. We're getting uh, dicier as the show grows older. You know, 99. Today, we're going to talk about something which I have been wanting to talk about, which actually we discussed in 2019, or I guess somewhere around late 2019, these topics about the vaccine, what it's going to do, what what is our immuno, uh, immunological response to it, and we you turned me on to several things, and because you have done a great job of always trying to find, because... Traditional media has shut down so much of this discussion that you have found alternative news sources. And this is what this show is going to be a recap of some of that. Not to correct anything. I actually, I think that that was uh, late 2020 because that was when they uh, released. Oh, yes. But uh, but just in case we get picked apart here, but it'll be late 2020. Well, if we're going to lie, let's make it more like in 2004. (laughs) Yeah. We were saying this so early. Yeah. Yeah. Right before my youngest was born. We were just, we were way ahead of it. Um, no, I'm glad that you introduced it that way because really, if we want to talk about permissibility and some of our publication is on YouTube, you have to kind of be careful. However, one of the guys who was the biggest proponent of the vaccine, Dr. Fauci, just authored a paper not even two days ago that it came into my consciousness that more or less refutes a lot of different aspects of vaccine and not just the mRNA-based platform, but a few others, uh, flu, et cetera. And based on respiratory illnesses. Based on respiratory yes. illnesses specifically. So um, there's, and that's a really, really good point, but in a more broad sense, a lot of people have been torn down and being, I hate this word, misinformation, disinformation. It's just a bunch of, just a bunch of talk to say that we don't like the way that you have a point of view. And, you know, I feel regardless of, Who's in office? It doesn't mean anything to you and I when it comes down to altruistically trying to find a solution for our patients and trying to guide them to to better health. Would you agree with that? I totally agree with that. You know, and we're finally I just think that we're finally at the point of this process, this new process that people are now being able to discuss science and facts and not turn it into a political thing. Hundred percent. Another one of those people who's I feel like has capitulated their original point. And I, and I have great admiration for people who can say they feel a certain way. And then as they evaluate data or they get new information, they change their position because it means that they're actually thinking and they're not just taking what was wrote. One of those is, uh, is Drew Pinsky, Dr. Drew, Dr. Drew. Yes. And so I've shared with you a couple of the things that he's begun to talk about and his show's great. His pot, he's got three different podcasts, one with Adam Carolla, which is, awesome and then he has late night with dr drew and another one that i think is just uh, dr drew pinsky he and um dr victory and i've i've only learned about her because of of his show but 
they've got some incredible experts on, and some of them I ended up sharing with you. But um, anyhow, I don't know exactly how we want to get into the subject, but we've got a lot to cover. And I think for many of y'all who've been writing to us about perspective, uh, what do we do about certain situations? What do we think about what appears to be people who randomly are getting sick or having cardiac issues in this day and age? What do we think about it? And we had to be careful. Well, that's the thing is we've gotten so many emails. I would say the topic that we've gotten the most of, even though that this is the gut check project, check your, check your ego at the door. We, t- you know, discuss health and but most of the stuff we get asked is COVID related. Definitely. You know, what's your opinion on this? And we've just kind of treaded lightly. So what this is going to be is you turned me on to Drew Pinsky's podcast or his shows, one of his shows on his show, Ask Dr. Drew. He's had some incredible experts on that, quite honestly, I had to listen to a couple times. So this is more a recap of some of the things that they are seeing as pathologists, as a a lipid nano expert, Hmm. um, hearing what they're saying, like in my practice, this was this. And so I just took a lot of notes and I just thought that we would just discuss these because this is not opinion. This is objective. As he says, these cells don't lie. I'm looking at it under a microscope. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think we should just dig in and at some point probably reference back to uh, Alex Berenson. If you have an interest in somebody who writes freelance and was once a long tenured writer for the uh, New York Times. I mean, this is these are no throwaway scrubs. These are people who've got massive clout in dealing with what I think some would previously would have regarded as old guard as the people who who uh, were in, in more yeah. or less mainstream and they've received information. They've long term writers and they've They've broken ranks. They've said, look, this is what I'm actually seeing. This is not just uh, some hand-me-down that I need to, to stick with. Well, you have always been um, willing to look at this and, you know, subscribe to Alex Berenson and who, Matt Taibbi. Matt Taibbi, it. Glenn Greenwald, yeah. Those people. And so when you sent me this email, he ends the whole thing with, I was going to paywall this, but it's too important. So he's letting this out, and it's really important. It's really cool. It basically discusses the history of trying to make a vaccine for a respiratory virus yeah and the fact that they were going all in this includes anthony fauci believing that doing this new technology mrna lipid nanoparticle is going to be the saving grace to all of this and circumvent all the other problems that they'd had for the last 50 years on trying to do a respiratory vaccine that's what we're going to get into these lipid nanoparticles what is this mrna technology and what's happening not the what is it you've heard that before the what's happening now after so many people have received this and we're seeing weird stuff i'm seeing weird shit in my office all the time yeah people are asking me stuff i'm seeing i'll tell you spoiler alert i'm seeing shit tons of pots have you ever heard of that before postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome i'm seeing tons of autoimmune stuff i'm seeing post-vaccination people um come up with a flare coincidence i don't know but we're going to talk about what these guys have seen who actually are pathologists in this space they're part of the flccc community yeah i'm glad you brought that up because something that we it also was released and i think that we probably should get into it and maybe even the next episode is that the flccc just a week and a half ago dropped a post vaccine post mrna vaccine protocol for people who may have symptoms which is huge no one even our own cdc or fda is addressing 
what do we do with these people? How do we help them if they feel like that they may, they may not feel normal? And they've worked diligently to build a protocol around it. And it's way too much for us to cram all that in, in one episode. For sure. So let's start here, and then we'll probably have a great follow-up in our, in our that next, sounds great. next show. So, okay, anyways, that's what the show is going to be about. So let's jump right in. This is episode 99. 99. Eric, what's going on? How are things in the Eric household? I mean, it's honestly, it's pretty sta- status quo. Still waiting on the birth of the grandbaby. Cannot wait. I've got uh, one son who's going to be a first-time dad, and he's elated, uh, and uh, as, as well as mama. She she can't, she's really ready to, to have uh, the baby born. And then I've got another son who can't wait to be probably the world's best uncle, period. So uh, that consumes a lot of my thoughts. I uh, usually have my phone on silent. I actually still have it so it can flash just in case I need to, Wave and get out of here because uh, I can't wait to be a granddad myself. Uh, that's so, so awesome. Uh, things are going great. I just you, you heard me. Lucas just uh, just called right now, right before we started, uh, to tell me that his teammate Elliot Sparizzi is the number one college tennis player in the country. That's his University of Texas. Let's go Horn. So now I'm becoming very quickly a very diehard uh, UT Texas fan, and congratulations to them. And several of the players just got ranked. So super awesome. excited that Lucas is calling me and telling me this. Well, he's playing in a tournament in California because he's redshirting. Yeah. So he's in California telling me, hey, did you see who's number one? I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. That is Love awesome. Uh, yeah, so that's what's going on. So um, I got a very interesting email okay. from somebody right. that uh, asked me a question, which makes sense. This is an email from a Michelle A. Mm-hmm. This is what she wrote to me. <clears throat> hey, I have noticed that after I drink coffee, I have bad diarrhea. I don't put cream or sugar in it. I have switched to decaffeinated coffee and still have diarrhea. This came to a head when I borrowed my husband's Maserati and met some friends for coffee. On the way home, I got stuck in a traffic jam on South Bayshore Drive and almost soiled the fine Italian leather in the car. I don't know where that is, but... Bayshore? Yeah, South Bayshore Drive. That sounds like Miami. I mean, probably shouldn't say it, but I mean, I don't want to out her, but that sounds like Miami. I think that is Miami. Sorry, that sounds like a Miami place. I don't know. Anyway, right. well, I mean, Maserati, Bayshore. Um, Maserati, just, Bayshore. I don't think it's, it's it's not Galveston or Rockport. Yes. So, anyway, <laughs> we probably shouldn't try and <laughs> narrow down where Michelle A is sending an email from. I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm eliminating the places that she's not. She's not in uh, Mobile, Alabama. All right. Well, regardless, <laughs> she almost soiled the fine Italian leather in a Maserati of her husband. Uh, so she states, I either have to give up coffee or I can never drive his car again. Please help. I like doing both. Michelle A. So this brought up a really interesting thing. Like, why does coffee cause diarrhea? In fact, she said, I've tried uh, decaffeinated and still the problem exists. So this is a common misconception. Let's use this opportunity to, number one, protect the fine Italian leather of a sports car and also discuss why coffee can cause diarrhea. Real briefly. Okay. You know, so um, so first of all, caffeine actually is somewhat of a stimulant. So in some people, it does increase some motility, some bowel movements. But many people will do the same thing. They'll have diarrhea from coffee, and then they'll go to decaf and still have diarrhea. So aside from caffeine, what are some other compounds in coffee that can actually trigger a bowel movement? So in addition to the caffeine that's there that everybody thinks coffee has, it also has tons of beneficial things like polyphenols. It just so happens that one of the most notable polyphenols that is in coffee is something called chlorogenic acid, 
This is a polyphenol that is found in coffee beans. This compound can actually stimulate the muscles in the gut, which can trigger a bowel movement. Furthermore, there's another one that is a very long name here. It's N-alkanoyl 5-hydroxytryptamide. This is a chemical very closely related to the neurotransmitter serotonin. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. And we know that there are serotonin receptors in the gut all over, which many pharmaceutical agents target this receptor. Now, these actually can act like a laxative. So you have chlorogenic acid and then this N-alkanoyl 5-hydroxytryptamide that are naturally occurring, they will increase the water content in the colon and also increase contractions of the muscles in the colon. So this is typically found at varying levels in different coffees. Uh, after a little bit of research, the amount of chlorogenic acid in coffee can actually vary depending on multiple factors, the type of coffee bean it is, the roast level, and the brewing method. So typically lighter roasted coffee beans will mm. contain higher levels of these two compounds compared to darker roasted coffee beans. This is because those two molecules are actually partly destroyed through this roasting process. Darker roasts will undergo more of the roasting time and they'll go through higher temperatures. Uh, it was also mentioned that you can take it in different methods. So eh, I know you're probably not going to want to do this, Michelle A., but instant coffee can have lower levels of those two compounds compared to regular coffee. And also, if you uh, take it with food, take smaller amounts, the food will actually slow the distribution into the small bowel, which will put smaller amounts of these compounds there so you don't get this big giant bolus. You can also look at different blends of coffee. Different regions in the world will have different levels. I unfortunately could not find something to say this one has this much and this one has this much. It's probably going to be a trial and error type thing. And then trying different brewing methods. Mm -hmm. It was actually pointed out that possibly a French press over just a straight drip may be the more effective method. So all of that, we are here for you, Michelle A, to protect the Maserati. So we want you to have your coffee, consider those different things, but thank you for sending an email. Anybody else that has questions like that, I find them really kind of fun to look up and I love hearing a little bit of the background of what happens to people. And don't worry, we've all been in traffic jams and all had to take a poop. So that was an awesome email. I appreciate that. So thanks, Michelle. A. So we're going to have to look this up. South Bayshore drive. You want to look at it now? Could be in Chicago. It's not. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into the meat of this. All right. So what we're going to talk about here is the summary of some experts that I've been listening to, specifically Dr. Urso, who is a specialist in lipid nanoparticles. Yeah. He's this super smart optho surgeon, ophthalmology surgeon that has developed different things, has developed drugs through the FDA. And Dr. Cole, a pathologist, MD, almost PhD, I think he... Didn't, I think he had kids and didn't finish his dissertation. But dude's brilliant. Dude's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So this is what we're going to talk about. And this is a lot of this is coming from Dr. Drew Penske's uh, pod, several podcasts where he had these people as guests. And he opens with the idea that forever, uh, not forever, for the last several years, having any alternative opinion during this period of this pandemic was essentially grounds for termination. And both of these brilliant men at one point during the last three years, actually got banned, removed, shunned, all of the things that happened. And they kept going in the name of science and saying this is the right thing 
to do. And this is what's so cool is that they stuck to their guns. And Dr. Cole said it best. He's like, I have no financial gain in this. I'm a doctor. I, I set an oath to do no harm. And one of the harms is to be complicit during this period. And I'm not going to do that. Right. I love that. Completely agree. Uh, And to me, they are two examples of some physicians who are prominent. I mean, so take, you, you just described the decorations around Urso and uh, Cole. And before we get into it, there's also some of the most published uh, in cardiology. You've got uh, Peter McCullough. I mean, the guy's based down here in Dallas. He's, He's, he sits on the board of the NIH. I mean, the guy is published everywhere for years, and then they've tried to discredit him, as well as uh, Paul Merrick, one of the most published pulmonologists and in intensive care physicians in the world, yes. in the history of the world. And they've, they've undergone the same thing. And what drew them to do that kind of research is the same thing that drew these people to stick to their guns, and that is doing what's best for the patient, regardless of political pressure. So, yeah, I think those are the kind of people that we're, that we're talking about here. Yeah. So one of the things, let's just jump right into this. You discussed how Dr. Fauci just recently was quoted as saying just how difficult it is to treat a respiratory virus, specifically a coronavirus, because of the way it mutates so fast. Yeah. And it was stated prior that this new technology called the uh, mRNA nanoparticle, lipid nanoparticle technology is going to be our way out of this. Let's just address that right away. Sure. Nobody discussed this. Dr. Urso did research in this Mm -hmm. because he developed a lipid nanoparticle delivery system for eye diseases. Correct. And he knew it really well, and he basically explained it. So we throw this out, mRNA technology, mRNA vaccine. Let's discuss what it is. The mRNA is being carried by a lipid nanoparticle. These lipid nanoparticles were initially designed to carry chemotherapeutic agents to the brain. They definitely cross the blood-brain barrier, and biodistribution studies out of Japan have shown that they get through the entire body. Human cells were meant to make human proteins. This has them making foreign proteins. Lipid nanoparticles have to be in a form that they are not readily degraded because they have to fuse with the cell and get in. He actually describes it as it's a non-natural fat, like Crisco or margarine. It's exactly what it is. Uh, so when we can get to the type of fat that these lipids are, and but, be, but before we get to that, you're encapsulating, you're encapsulating code that otherwise, if your body were to uh, interact with it, you were to eat it, you were to ingest it, your body would destroy it, and it's supposed to. And not only that, if it weren't encased in an mRNA, strand of mRNA, not encased in a lipid nanoparticle, if it were just floating within your body, it would be subject to degradation by an mRNase, an enzyme that finds rogue mRNA and destroys them. Why? Because they aren't supposed to be free-floating like that and then be encoded or transcripted to make a random protein. So it's actually a great succinct way to say these are codes to form proteins, which are not naturally human. Absolutely. But more importantly, right now at this level, when we were told that if you get stuck in the arm, it stays in the arm. It doesn't. What I'm trying to show is that these lipid nanoparticles are toxic and hard for the body to dispose of. Yeah. I mean, we had the show where we talked about bad oils 
And we said avoid margarine and Crisco because those are the, you know, partially hydrogenated fats. They don't just stay in one place. I remember when this came out, it's like, we're going to shoot you in the arm. It's going to stay there. And so a recent study out of Stanford actually refuted the fact that when you get this particular mRNA nanoparticle in the arm, the vaccine is actually found in lymph nodes distant to the deltoid, which is where you get shot up, 60 days after injection. Now, the really funny part is that's when the study was terminated. Mm -hmm. It was only stopped at 60 days. Like, it was like, holy shit, it's here for 60 days. We got to let everybody know this. We don't really know if it's there longer, for starters. That's one thing. Now, mRNA from the vaccine continues to be produced up to four months, and the spike proteins can actually be found in monocytes, white blood cells, up to 15 months later. Remember at the very beginning of this, you're going to get injected for a few days, you'll have this reaction, and then your body will have immunity. Mm -hmm. Now we're seeing 15 months later, spike protein still being produced. At least 60 days after injection, they're finding this mRNA. And so, um, or up to four months, we're seeing the mRNA. So it's just one of those things that make you go, okay, now wait a minute, where's this all headed? That means that the mRNA can stay in circulation and produce spike proteins for over a year, we still don't know when the mRNA gets broken down. No, we don't. Know. These are just studies that's being published. Like we don't know if we're going to be having this conversation five years from now, correct? Or what's happening here? Research also showed that some patient populations with metabolic disorders have been found to have higher levels of mRNA circulating for longer periods of time. We don't know when it gets broken down. It is conceivable that metabolic syndrome and sicker people, the obese, hypertensive diabetics, have a harder time breaking it down, which now confers the issue. Have we just, these people that were more susceptible to COVID in the first place, are they going to be more susceptible to the uh, vaccine side effects? And what Dr. Urso described is these things are great. Lipid nanoparticles are fantastic if you have an inborn error of some sort of metabolism, in other words, a genetic error, because Mm -hmm. you want this thing everywhere in the body. Mm -hmm. They're fantastic for that, but they're designed to carry the chemotherapeutic agents all over. They definitely um, have this, this capacity to go everywhere and that's something that people aren't really talking about so to give credit here to dr urso because as you mentioned earlier he is an expert in the field of lipid nano particle uh, medication and delivery systems when he said what he said about uh they're perfect for somebody with that gene issue he's he's talking about a, de- a gene disruption or a gene mutation that's unnatural that's causing a problem exactly not for currently healthy functioning human beings not for someone who doesn't have what would otherwise be termed as a genetic disease. So I think that what he's cautioning here is this is, this is an interference that we don't know the gamble that we're taking by getting ourselves to make these proteins simply because we can. So Yeah, this is somebody who did some research on that. So these are all, this is all what they're, what, what we're seeing now. And this isn't like a, we learn as we go. Medicine is an evolving thing. Sure. This is just, but we have to be able to talk about it. Definitely. That's kind of where it's at. You know, in the original studies, it was just a single dose. Mm-hmm. 
That's the key also. They only studied it with one dose. Mm -hmm. And now we're saying booster, 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 booster. What does that do? We're going to talk about what that does. But essentially what's happened is you've been injected with something that makes you a little spike protein manufacturing facility with no off switch. One more time. You are a little spike protein manufacturing facility with no off switch because it's not programmed in. And something we we know about spike protein that no one's denied is it's inflammatory. It it is the peak or the beginning of a uh, precipice of a uh, of an inflammatory cascade. Yeah, Doctor Cole presented a case um, that was a post vaccination death, and these these are his slides. And what once again we're saying this is not opinion. This is what I'm seeing. What he's able to do is he actually stained the adrenal gland of this patient and showed that there was no nuclear capsid. But there was spike protein. What that means is this is not a COVID death. This is a vaccination adverse outcome. Correct. And it is a lipid nanoparticle. So you're like, oh, well, the adrenal gland, why does that matter? Well, it matters because as a lipid nanoparticle, it's going to be drawn to more fatty tissues. Two very fatty tissues, the adrenal gland and the brain. Brain Mm -hmm. is 60% fat. The adrenal gland is almost all fatty style, uh, style tissue because it makes hormones correct and so it uses the cholesterol in our body and all that stuff to make these hormones and so um it didn't just get on the outside what he saw is it stained all the way through from the outside all the way in and what's interesting is that we're seeing a lot of these patients i said at the very very beginning that this concept of pots p-o-t-s which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome i had a patient today that she was sounding like everything. She had mast cell activation syndrome. She had autoimmune diseases. And I'm like, oh, it's fascinating because we're seeing a lot of people, and it started three years ago. And um, I said, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you develop POTS. And she's like, huh, I just saw a cardiologist last week, and he says I have POTS. Wow. It's not on my record yet because it just happened last week. And I'm like, oh, we're seeing this. There's this constellation. So... If your, if your adrenal glands are not functioning, I want to bring this up, it can actually lead to certain electrolyte disorders, profound potassium wasting. And I say this because we've got a couple people that listen to the podcast that are my patients, and we're dealing with recurrent drop in potassium and blood pressure issues. Mm-hmm. So it's just something to think that, uh, you know, we got to keep that in mind. Adrenal so, insufficiency. Adrenal insufficiency, it's affecting, it's, it's, it's screwing with how the uh, adrenal glands function. So, I mean, this type of technology, it's, it's freaking amazing. I mean, it's absolutely amazing, especially if you're delivering chemotherapeutic drugs throughout the entire body, especially if you have a rare condition where you have an inborn genetic abnormality. This could be a complete game changer. But these are allowed based on the fact that they were normal protein-producing products, meaning when it was pitched, we were told it's going to have your body make a protein so that your body will recognize and it will know to fight it. Yeah. Problem is, it's a foreign protein that doesn't have an off switch now. And so what we're doing is we're talking about gene-based products using mRNA technology that I'm fearful will be used to try and treat other things. Until we have this ability to have the off switch, really scary to say we're going to use this technology to treat a bunch of other things. Totally agree. And not to, uh, to hop from our, our three sources that we used here from Urso, Cole, and then the, the Fauci paper that Berenson brought to our attention. But in the Fauci paper, they specifically talk about with respiratory issues that our body naturally 
doesn't form long-term solutions with our antibodies to deal with every respiratory disease because they are what? Brief and usually for most people, unless you're compromised in another way, not that damaging. So having the spike protein uh, repeated over and over and over again, they hypothesize is actually somewhat damaging to trying to immunize against respiratory viruses because our body isn't meant to constantly fight them. Is that how you understood the... That's exactly how I understand it. It's a perfect segue to what... So basically, I took these different podcasts and I kind of put them into clumps because each person was discussing things. There was some overlap. Yeah, there was, definitely. So the next segue that I wrote here is called class switch. Oh, okay. Which is exactly (laughs) what you're talking about. So what's happening here is there... When I say class switch, we're now seeing this class switch where Dr. Cole goes into great deal. And mind you, I'm learning. I, I, I mean, I'm learning all this as we go. Like this is the beauty These of this show. These are experts. And this show affords us the opportunity to learn more from those, sure. from different things like that. Yeah. And I freely admit that I'm, I learned before here. In fact, one of my patients said, what I really like about the show is that you, you clearly are excited about it because you're learning and you're like, I want to teach you. This is exactly something that I just learned, but it makes sense. What I mean by this is a class switch. When you get an infection, your body sees this infection. And many episodes ago, I wrote on the whiteboard, I tried to explain the whole um, innate immune system and mm-hmm. the adaptive immune system. But basically, a bug comes in, salmonella, your body goes, okay, we got to kill this bug here kills it, and then it takes a chunk of it, takes it to a memory cell and says, listen, if this guy ever comes back, make sure you kill it. Got it. So that was the plan all along. Mm-hmm. The problem is those immunoglobulins, remember we talk about antibodies, what they're referring to is, oh, my antibody response is still high. Oh, my antibody is high. You have to differentiate the different types of antibodies. Yes. Because antibody one and three are the ones that kill the invaders. Their job is to have the memory to go out there and kill it. Antibody two and four, and what we're referring to is IgG2 and IgG4, their job is to tell one and three to chill out. Because they've been exposed so much, they're the guys, they're the mediators. Think of it this way. If you get allergy shots, you get a little bit of the antigen a bunch of times. Mm -hmm. Eventually... One and three are like, man, this guy keeps coming. And they go over and they punch it. And then four shows up. He's like, dudes, it's all good. It's actually not a bad thing. It's hurting our bodies, overreacting to attacking this thing. Correct. So that being said, what's happening is as you continually produce the spike protein, Dr. Cole and Dr. Urso have shown that what ends up happening is you get this immune tolerability and you increase IgG4 that says it's all good, we recognize this as something that we see all the time, everybody chill out. Problem is, when you get exposed to the real COVID, your body doesn't react to it then. Correct. And so this, as he discussed, and quote, recently this discussion of the IgG4 class switch has rocked the whole antibody theory. Mm -hmm. And when I heard this, I was like, damn, that's not been said at all. It's just, do you have antibodies? Do you not? That's your antibodies it. are high. Well, your antibodies may be high in a way that makes you more vulnerable. Right. And what's wild is, after the third shot, you keep revving it up. 
you start to develop this IgG4, which is the tolerability antibody. So in the case of a respiratory virus, like you were talking about here, Mm -hmm. to fight a respiratory virus, you don't even need IgG. What you need is IgA, which is the antibody that lines your mucosal membranes, nose all the way through the lungs. IgA is in the gut as well. So you have IgA, which is just there. It's like a security guard. The IgG1 and IgG3, when you call the cops, and IgG2 and IgG4 are, what are they? The peacemakers. What would be the peacemaker equivalent? Um, They're, I don't know, they're the, the rebuilders, the reconstructionists. They're coming in and... Settling everybody down, I guess. Yeah, but is there is there is there a job equivalent that does that? Serve serve pro. I don't know. <laughs> Crime scene cleanup. I know. I feel like anything I throw out is going to go wrong. I'm like, they're the priests. No, yeah. can't go there. Yes, <laughs> just crime scene cleanup. Crime scene cleanup. Yeah. So IgG four comes in and it's like, stop everybody. Everybody can go home now. Um, in fact, this whole concept of Ig. A is why trying to vaccinate for a respiratory organism makes it super difficult, which is why every single year people get the flu, even though you had the flu the year before, which is why, you know, rhinoviruses and coronaviruses mutate so quickly. You need that. Um, So there was a, a, in England in 2022, Dr. Cole refers to a study that came out that 94% of the deaths due to COVID were in triple vaccinated people. Yeah. But if you think about it, they're they're tamping down their ability, or I'm sorry, they're ramping up the the stop police. The crime scene cleanup guys are showing up before anybody's able to rescue anything. Yeah. And so now you've got a lot of people who are post-vaccinated who are simply becoming sick more often, more frequently yes. from COVID. And yes. that is happening. That's that's not deniable. Um, what is that? Golly, what is his name? They, they, they were talking about him actually on Drew Pinsky's show. With Adam Carolla, and it was, uh, I think it was uh, Joe Scarborough, is that his name? He's some, I don't know, some news TV anchor. I'm not exactly sure who that is, but they did play this clip of him talking about how he had just been down for, for I think his, his spouse, I think is the co-host, and they she said, you were down for a month, and he's quadruple or five times yeah. vaccinated. I mean, it's, I, I don't know people who've suffered that long. You know, it's wild because it was discussed. I don't remember. I think it was Urso that brought this up that really by day five to seven, the virus is essentially gone. Like the, like the virus is dead. It yeah, it's is an died. inflammatory issue at that point. It becomes an inflammatory disease from then on. Therefore, the virologists need to step down and you got to learn how to treat the inflammation. Yeah. Stop that inflammatory cascade. So using that logic, every time you go in, you reboost the inflammatory cascade saying we're going to produce more spike proteins here. And, you know, like like I was talking about, they, they have found antigenic fragments in macrophages, meaning they've found fragments of this 15 months after receiving a vaccine. So it's the history is showing that if you give these lipid nanoparticle mRNA vaccinations, that people can actually suffer worse after they get exposed. And we know in this virus... What's really weird is that the vaccination was made for the spike protein, thinking that the body would react to it. But the spike protein is responsible for 95% of the pathology of the virus. 
And, you know, now we're starting to talk about these bivalent vaccines. We're going to need the vaccine that'll have two different doses there. And it's, but the problem is one arm represents the original, uh, the original, whatever variant that was called. And then the other arm is supposed to be a combination of whatever. And so Mm -hmm. you're just forcing the virus to keep mutating and it's working less and less. And so it's unfortunately, as this virus mutates, it binds to these sites that these vaccines continue to decrease being able to bind to. So you're, you're not improving your ability to not get infected. You're essentially saying, let's teach the virus to go around this and it's really easy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, animal models have shown that the more mRNA vaccines you give, the higher the likelihood of death. <laughs> this is why we don't have a good vaccine that can effectively combat the coronavirus because it mutates so damn quickly. So... Um, where are you going to go next? Because I just want to hit on one small thing that uh, Urso also described about specific to lipid nanoparticle technology itself, with or without mRNA. I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna have you say that. I'm gonna say one statement, then I'm gonna have you say it okay. because I don't want to make this too alarming. But then he said, um, you know, if you get too many shots, it can start floating around and be passed on to your offspring. You say your thing now. I'm just saying that okay. Because well, that was the first time I'd ever heard that. I went. What? So then that one actually was in conjunction with the mRNA. And then he actually went on to talk about his, another area of his expertise, which is specifically the lipid nanoparticle technology and the platform for it to deliver things beyond mRNA. So now we're talking about anything that happens to be lipid nanoparticle technology. And and we've seen it with certain types of supplements that say that their bioavailability isn't there or Whatever you can imagine where someone has said that they feel like that they need to test the blood and see a certain level, and then they say, but we have a new technology that makes it more readily available, and they encapsulate it in this lipid nanotechnology. He specifically went back and said that it should be reserved currently for genetic issues and cancer treatment because those are, are issues that aren't going to be remedied by anything else. For an otherwise fun- healthy functioning human, it's probably not a wise idea. And to go along with what you're talking about being passed on to progeny or children, he said that they had a mice study where they um, had used lipid nanotechnology and they were able to see that it's dose dependent, number one. So the more times you've had lipid nanoparticles, the more susceptible, I guess, you would be to have some of these issues follow you. But they were able to say that, yes, the mice and then their children were able to display. Oh, really? Yes, the, the, the offspring of the mice. They, they had it. But he is worried about uh, the application to our food supply in both plants and in animals, utilizing lipid nanoparticle technology to infiltrate the cellular DNA transcription by delivering either an herbicide, or a pesticide, or whatever it happens to be, both for livestock and for plants, he actually is taking a position that we should be far more diligent in how we select and basically treat our food supply for diseases, that rather than injecting them with this new technology simply because they can show either a a, a blood sample that shows that we've got a good circulation or a plant sample that shows that we've been able to penetrate the way that a plant processes these things, that it's actually not a great idea. We could be putting ourselves at risk by eating plants and or animals that have used lipid nanotechnology and certainly in conjunction with 
what seems like unproven safety efficacy of mRNA in there to prevent disease because it could just be causing disease for us later on. And you had hinted already at brain and adrenal glands. He also actually talked about that dose dependence showed penetration of ovaries. And so he said that sex mm. organs yeah. were, were showing that same thing. So just briefly, why, why lipid nanoparticles? So the phospholipid bilayer is what makes up all animal cells. That's basically the barrier that allows the cells. It, it's 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 the the communication. It's the it's the wall. Right? It's the wall. It can fuse to that wall. That's exactly right. So it being a fat lipid nanoparticle, it goes and it's almost like an inverse vesicle. Oh yeah. And so it allows it to to penetrate. How could ubiquitously go everywhere? Everywhere. And the more fat you have, the more it's going to do that. Brain, adrenal, ovary. That's exactly right. So anyway, not to sidetrack from from where we're headed, but I think it's important to realize that if a lot of times you, we, you hit people with all this information, like, what can I do? Well, maybe reconsider something that tells you that you have a new supplement that's delivered through a lipid nanoparticle. Maybe your bloodstream, your, your, you know, the, the uh, serology doesn't need to show an increase in a particular supplement. That's probably not how it's supposed to meant to uh, be metabolized. That's fantastic. You want to know what your greatest skill is as a human? I've just noticed it. I just mm -hmm. found your superpower. What? You are amazing at not knowing where it's going and doing the most perfect transitions ever. <laughs> <laughs> because Dr. Cole, without going into that, because you just explained how that happened, uh -huh. he went into this whole thing about how once it gets through the cell wall, it so easily sneaks in uh -huh. that it actually goes to an area where there's pre-fibroblasts. Oh. So basically, what Eric just explained is it fuses the cell wall. Once it gets in, it looks around and goes, oh, look at those guys over there. Yeah. These are fibroblasts, or they're called peri periblasts because they're not fully mature. They're not ready yet. Yeah. yeah. So they're basically juvenile fibroblasts. Mm -hmm. And the mRNA lipid nanoparticle recruits these juvenile and turns them into little um, angry juvenile delinquents. Yeah. And these fibroblasts create a ton of inflammation because they're irritated. Yeah. It's like a shitty stepdad or something. Just coming <laughs> in and being like, hey. And they just they start lashing out. And so basically what he explains is these fibroblasts are the root cause of the thrombotic events. Makes sense though, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, if they're going to be recruited like that and that's the way that it's going to behave, it, it, most things like that are going to have a target. And that was the problem. Uh, well, I say the problem. One one of the problems in the performance of this is they didn't have simply enough time to, supposedly, to measure if it was going to affect the targeted cells and only the targeted cells. If that makes sense. So, and I don't want to I don't want to sidetrack too much, but no, no, there's there's no sidetracking because all of this are intertwined lanes that keep coming through. I mean, you said it forth. yourself, ubiquitous application of something. If something has a key to everything, you think that you and, and you think that you know it's going to be used in the right way. But let's just say that it's it's not. And the cell that you didn't intend to transcribe the the mRNA suddenly begins to produce a spike. That is at least what I've read is is one of the hypotheses on why we're having these types of problems. So what Dr. Cole's specialty is, and what he really started raising the alarm early on, 
was the thrombotic events. Definitely. Long so, so far, Yeah, so so far all we've talked about is how this lipid nanoparticle carries the mRNA mm-hmm. all over the body. And then we discussed how this mRNA turns your body into a little spike protein manufacturing thing. Correct. Well, who gives a shit if that's happening? The reason why you should give a shit is because in his studies, what he has shown is that as a pathologist, he states COVID is a clotting disease. That's what it is. And so what he does, is he goes into great detail explaining that when you turn on one of these fibroblasts, there's this cascade. The fibroblast's job, the irritated fibroblast's job is to form a clot. Doing this um, with a plasminogen activator inhibitor um, in conjunction with the fibroblast clot forming things. So plasminogen is helps form the clots. It's this cascade. I remember that you did it also in biology where you saw how many steps are required. If I cut you, it's really important that that cascade starts now so that you have a clot. Problem is, if you're having little tiny micro cuts all over your body, mm-hmm. you're forming micro clots. Everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. And so um, it gets a little bit confusing, but basically when a clot is formed, plasminogen activator inhibitor, PAI1, is released and it starts to break down the clot. Yeah. So that you have a clot for only enough time to stop the bleeding. Problem is, what he has seen is that there are gene mutations that result in a deficiency of this plasminogen activator inhibitor, PAI1. So in other words, the body cannot break down the clot. Fascinating, what he showed is it isn't just a straight gene. It can be an epigenetic phenomenon. Mm -hmm. He saw in his patients on autopsy and in pathology that comorbid conditions such as obesity, diabetes, and metabolic syndrome actually contribute to the epigenetic change of decreasing the PAI1, meaning that if you're exposed to the virus, possibly to the vaccine, and you have metabolic syndrome, diabetes, high blood pressure, obesity, then your enzymes are actually lower than normal people to break down this clot. Yeah. And this does not include what he says, there's going to be a percentage of people that genetically just don't have the enzymes. So you can be fit and still have something like this. Right. But it would explain why we're seeing young, healthy people have strokes and heart attacks also. So um, one of the things is by changing lifestyle, think of it this way, you can increase that PA1 activity so that you can break down these clots. And the whole concept, Dr. Drew then kind of jumped in. He said, well, these are microclots. And, you know, he says that this is happening on the cellular level, endothelitis, meaning the lining of the blood vessels. And we've been talking about this since early on of COVID, that doctors were noticing almost immediately that people were dying of thrombotic events and they were having fingers necrose. And they're like, what the F is going on? Dude, that was early when we were doing the shows before there was even talk of a vaccine, even on the horizon when, they, when we were breaking that step down. Yeah. So yeah, that, and that actually hasn't changed. Yeah. And if you look on the FLCC protocol, when mm-hmm. stuff like this starts happening, yeah, I had the opportunity to look up something. He starts introducing, Dr. Cole starts introducing a potent anti-inflammatory called natokinase. Yep. Natokinase is, um, natto is fermented soybeans 
from Bacillus subtilis. Wow. <laughs> one of the uh, spore-based spore biotics base. in Atrantil Pro, Bacillus subtilis. So uh, when, that is, when they form this natto fermented, they can extract an enzyme called natokinase, and this actually dissolves blood clots really well. So it actually directly hydrolyzes, meaning it breaks down fibrin and plasmin substrate, converting the pro-urokinase to urokinase. Anyways, it's, it's all science-y, but pretty freaking cool that we, there's a natural product out there that could actually help with this. Sure. If somebody starts showing signs of early clotting. And Dr. Drew started talking about it. He goes, that this is one of the reasons why people think they lose their sense of smell. Microclots. Well, you know, and the microclots can occur anywhere, right? I mm-hmm. mean, blood goes to everything. So uh, I've been asked, just when talking, even with friends or with colleagues, and we, we, this is a hot topic when you're talking about health. I mean, and it has been now going on three years. It's just, it's amazing. It's crazy it took three years for people to actually get up and start talking like this without being just completely shut, shut down. Shut down, yeah. Well, uh, some, some folks have tried to relay the issue of how in the world can you have something that's clotting and then suddenly say that someone's got myocarditis or whatever. Um, it happens to be the, the measurement between the two. Some, some things go hand in hand and they don't necessarily always know specifically what the endotheliitis is going to occur. And if it could uh, happen around the heart, hypothetically, they're saying that that could be leading to the myocarditis. So why would this inflammation have anything to do with anything? Just think if, and, and let's, uh, let's uh, have a, a quick delineation too. Some people I think have mistakenly equated pericarditis with myocarditis and they're not the same. Uh, pericarditis is far less uh, dangerous. It's usually viral related and is about the sac around the heart. Sac around. And most people get over that. I've, I had pericarditis years ago and, and you just, just get over it. But I did. I told you that when you were like, ah, I hurt. I'm like, get over it. Yeah. Just get over it, dude. Quit being such a wimp about you this. You got thing. a little sack hurt, yeah. little sack. <laughs> Thanks for telling me I had a little sack. Anyway, um, but the, the issue of myocarditis could be exacerbated. Some people have said that, like there's mild. I don't think there is such a thing as mild myocarditis. I mean, I think that when you have the inflammation of the heart muscle, it's always regarded as requires attention, observation, et cetera. But if you have the insult, I think anywhere close to where the sinoatrial node affects mm-hmm. the AV node, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's where you start worrying about people having issues of complete heart block and different things like that. That It's not to be toyed with. So just a side shot where people have talked about the relation to that, that's the way that at least I understand that that could be related here is these levels of inflammation, if you agree they could occur anywhere, that's why... It happens to be noticed whenever it happens in the heart. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Dr. Carl actually gave up several examples, and he said that he was posting these slides where he was showing how he could stain for the spike protein in the heart. Yeah. So if you have local spike protein there, the body reacts to it, turns on these angry fibroblasts. Fibroblasts form little microclots. Little microclots result in microischemia, which results in myocarditis. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it makes sense. If you're losing the ability for that tissue to be able to oxygenate, it's going to necrose. And then you've got an issue. Yeah, because whenever we think about it, we always think of macro clotting, but we're not even discussing this. I mean, this is just tip of the iceberg stuff. They, they, they went into so much detail. He went into looking at brains of certain people and this, they have this spongiform thing where he could see that there was necrosed just sporadic, sporadically. It's not like a stroke where, oh, your left hemisphere just got smoked. Yeah. Well, and, and then otherwise, uh, it wasn't, it was 
relatively early on when, when uh, at, not long after the vaccine was released, that suddenly we started hearing, I think it might have even been Cole, who said, I suggest for people who are having issues post-vaccine that you at least begin with a D-dimer to see if they, a D-dimer test to see if they have any microclotting. So, and that makes sense because a D-dimer yeah. test would be able to indicate if someone has some microclotting. I think he said something that he did do that, but then he was seeing people with issues with negative D-dimers. Oh, anyway. And then he circled back okay. and realized that, yeah, I think there was something to that. But, dude, it's so layered. and It's so complex. These are such smart people. and they, You know, it's like everything. When you live in that world, the vernacular becomes your language. <laughs> yeah. But it sounds like a foreign, like I literally listen to these podcasts like three times. Yeah. Going, you have okay, to. well, how do we, do, oh my gosh, what are we talking about this? One thing I do want to bring up um, that was just sort of the tail end of everything no doubt about it, I'm finding cancer in younger people. And I've talked to some radiation oncologists who have seen the same thing. Dr. Cole said the exact same thing. He's like, I've talked to oncologists, I've talked to my radiation friends, I've talked to my gastroenterologists, and we are seeing younger cancers. Now, I'm also seeing more autoimmune disease. Anecdotally, this is what I'm seeing. One of the interesting things is that I'm seeing more, I personally am seeing more anal cancer, Talk to the radiation oncologist that I work with, and he said, yeah, interestingly, I'm seeing more anal cancer. And then just last week, an article got published of the rapid rise of anal cancer in the Midwest and the South. For real. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was an oncologist who said, wait a minute, there's something going on here. Kind of makes sense, though. If we're doing the, um, wow. what we know is that we're seeing more of this. Well, all right. There was a study of 100 Americans and post-injection, 15% ended up with a chronic condition. So if you have a chronic condition, why is that chronic condition there? You can raise all the quest questions and, and susceptibilities. But one of the things I think is happening is that we're seeing viral um, escape from the immune system. So we're, we're hearing about people having more issues of EBV, Epstein-Barr virus, being reactivated after getting, after getting COVID. Like they get COVID and then they're like, oh my gosh, I'm wiped out. What's going on? And so um, I think that maybe HPV could be playing a role in something of this. But I was just anecdotally going, huh, that's odd. I'm seeing more of this, you know, been in practice, you know, 25 years and I'm seeing a few of this. And then I saw an article last week. So what is it doing like unlocking? The I, here's what I think is going on. I think all these chronic viruses, CMV, EBV, yeah. um, Lyme, HPV that yeah. we carry around in us all sure. the time, yeah. they're held in check. Yeah, and we're basically saying and, that it's okay now. And basically the immune system has IgG4, Four. yeah, which allows these chronic things that are there already that normally Ig, IgG1 and IgG3 would be like, all right, get back into your cell. Sure. And whack them back in there. And now IgG4 is like, hey, man, let them out. It's all good. It's all good, man. <laughs> it's a really cool voice. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm I'm IgG four. Why don't Why don't you be IgG three? You want me to be IgG three? Uh, yeah, man. I want to fight this you disease. Just, you just chill out, man. I guess you so. should chill out. This 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 HPV over here. He he looks okay. He's all right, man. This CMV's all right over here. Epstein Barr. He's cool. And then I let them all out. Yeah. And then you look at me and you're like, you dumb piece of shit. Yeah. HPV is causing anal cancer. EBV is over there causing chronic fatigue. Lyme is messing with the brain now. 
you know, I don't have uh, I don't have a number to reference this, and I wish I did. But um, what is the mantle cell? That's <gasps> what it was. Mantle cell lymphoma is has been is normally an Malt old lymphoma. Yes, that's, that's normal. Also activated lymphoma tissue. Mantle cell is mantle cells B cell. Yes, mantle cells B cell. Isn't that interesting yes. though? Because what caught my attention when I when I first ran across the increase in mantle cell lymphoma over the course of the last eighteen to twenty four months is that the supposed target of lipid nanoparticle delivered mRNA was the B cell. So if the B cell of our of our immune system was the target of where we where we wanted the mRNA to reproduce spike, and now Younger and younger people are showing up with mantle cell lymphoma that when usually it happened at an older age. Oh, shit. Yeah. Isn't that, I mean, causation, correlation, whatever. It, it's at least worth, it's a signal. Isn't that what uh, Brett Weinstein often says? It's a signal. Signals are things that you need to be able to talk about because that way they can be researched. So anyway, another signal. It's wild, man. Dude, it's wild because it's like, I listen to this and I just, all right, so we covered a lot of ground here. We started by discussing that we are, these are not opinions by me and Eric. We are just reiterating things that I consider complete experts in what they're seeing. And here's the deal. And this is what, how I practice medicine. If it makes physiologic sense, just listen to it. Not to sidetrack really quick, but when Andrew Huberman discusses sauna and cold and red light therapy, and when I was in med school, I would have said that's all bullshit, and now I go, huh? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. This is one of those things. It just makes sense, so we should talk about it. So, you know, we opened up with, you know, the whole concept of what these nanoparticles do and where they go, and then we, you know, went to the fact that you have this class switch where if IgG4 is elevated, then you are going to downregulate all of your ability to attack foreign invaders, including these guys that were in cells. And IgG4 just let HPV out to cause a little bit of anal cancer. <laughs> and so, um, and then, you know, th that gets into the whole aspect of when these cells form and they start poking the fibroblast yeah. that was just chilling. Yeah. But they just get pissed off and start lashing out they start forming these clots so we covered a lot of ground here freaking honestly it's really exciting to sit there and look at this and think about it and go wow this is nuts cool and i'm so happy that there's guys like drew pinsky and dr urso and dr cole and all these people that are out there busting their ass not making any money on it at all. No. You know what? That's a really good point. I'm glad that you started with that because, like I said, I think that we should go through what the FLCCC dropped. And there's a lot of information that I think that you and I should become far more familiar with before we, we do an entire episode on it. But making money from it. Do you want to know what the very first first-line therapy is? Before I say what it is, so what I'm talking mm -hmm. about is this protocol from the FLCCC. They have researched what they think is at least a pathway to begin a protocol to treat people who may have suffered from mRNA vaccine injury. So they want to see what they can do to help people heal. The very first thing that they mention is to begin with intermittent daily fasting. Now stop right there. How much does intermittent daily fasting cost anyone? Nothing. If anything, it probably saves you money. 
But the reason why they want to do it is autophagy. They believe that your body will recognize a cell which is producing rogue proteins. And so in order to stimulate autophagy, and we've talked about that on the show several times. Define what autophagy is. Autophagy is whenever the, a cell has, needs to be getting, gotten rid of, it's producing the wrong thing, and basically it's cell death. Programmed cell death. Correct. Yeah. Old, sick, non-functioning cells, your body goes, or, no. Or rogue. Or, or rogue. rogue. And so autophagy is a very natural, normal process. Your body does it every single day. What they're saying here is that in order to stimulate better autophagy, yeah. then you might want to consider um, intermittent fasting, intermittent daily fasting, periodic daily fast. Anyway, we can go through all of this. I'm just highlighting that these aren't people who are motivated by no, sending you're... you to go and buy something. Yeah, so they're they're actually I'm pretty excited about this. Eric found that these these particular doctors that we're naming here are putting on a conference in our backyard. Yeah. We're gonna go and we're gonna eat their brains. Definitely. Yeah. Well not not with a lipid nanoparticle or not. We're gonna try and find people that don't have lipid nanoparticles and we'll eat <laughs> their brains. <laughs> Man, that's that's a lot to chew on for this episode of It Fox. is. And I'm just you know, I don't even know how to say that I'm proud that I sat there and didn't understand a freaking thing this guy said the first time. Because I'm like, this is why in the world is this the first time I'm hearing this shit? Yeah, I know. Because it makes total sense. Yeah. But yeah, honestly, I'm proud of of both of us and several others, several thousands of others who are just like us. That you, you can't just turn away because it's not what's being talked about everywhere. You have to be able to evaluate things with a fair and open mind. Who is the who is the woman um, that's that's the other doctor that is like the co-host with Doctor Drew? Oh, uh, uh, Victory Kelly Kelly Victory. So she's cool as shit because she Very. said, "Listen, I'm so glad that you came on, da, 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 but let's move on. Yeah, like we don't even have to look back and play the I told you so game. Doesn't matter. She's like, we need to move on. What do we do now? And that's the next step. How do we shut this off? Do we chelate? Do we bind? Do we plasmapherese? What do we do? That's exactly how she talks. And yeah. she's been that way. And actually, that's the best attitude. I don't care who's been right or wrong to date. Yeah. What do we do for everyone going forward? Let's let's be smarter in, and I in think our approach. That, and she, she said it. She's like, we're going to be hit with a wave, an epidemic wave of post-chronic, you know, multiple vaccinated people, chronic issues that we better figure out how to temper the spike protein production i mean it's pretty wild because maybe it comes down maybe these protocols work maybe they don't i don't know it's but it's a uh, um, i love I'm, I'm curious we talked about it on the last episode when i did that really bad scene reenactment from ted lasso about remaining curious <laughs> yeah but remaining curious keeps you passionate and i'm freaking like finding people this smart yeah i just want to just just ride their coattails and be like where are we going with this this is so cool that you and these guys every single one of these people got the shit beat out of them they got deplatformed. they had their youtube channels oh. removed all of them and they're still doing it steadfast like a like a freaking stoic monk yeah just saying no i'm doing this because i know i'm, I'm not gonna if i help one person it's all that matters you can try and take me out. I, I just love it. I just love it. Well, it just doesn't make sense to not be able to have a healthy conversation that's two-way and, and to be able to examine what's being presented to you. Yeah. It's really, really strange that we've, regardless of where you fall on the issue, if you 
if you were ever comfortable saying, no, 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 you can't talk about it. That's, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Well, what, if what they're saying is wrong, what are you afraid to hear? I mean, hear it and then beat it with better information. Yes. If you've got better information, then just, just challenge it. But just saying, no, 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 don't talk about it. That's, that's weak. You're, you'll never learn anything like that. So anyway, that, uh, that's a that's episode ninety nine. I hope you got something out of it. Hopefully, Michelle A doesn't uh, soil her husband's car. That's at the very beginning of the show. That was an email <laughs> question, but uh, yeah, we covered a lot of ground today. So um, I'm excited to keep following these guys, and I I appreciate you, Eric, for always finding people like Alex Berenson and Matt Taibbi and Drew Pensky who are out there discussing these things. We're not the only ones because. Uh, I think Drew's last episode had over a million downloads, so it's not like he's not being heard. We're really close to a million. We are really close. We're a little closer to 50,000, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to do it for episode 99. So episode 100, obviously, it looks like we're going to end up going over the uh, the new protocol. But thank you so much for all the email. Be sure and check out gutcheckproject.com. Like and share the episode. Share with anybody you care about or you're just yourself and listen again. So Ken. Yeah, and always remember we do have, if you want to support the show, like, share, tell people. But also um, all the products that we have on the kbmdhealth.com site, one of the ones that I'm really seeing tremendous success with is this SIBO support box. The SIBO support box has multiple ingredients that hit from different angles to try and help heal your gut. That's just one of the aspects that we have. So uh, go ahead and take a look at that. So thank you so much for watching episode 99. See you later. That's a wrap for this episode of the Gut Check Project, and we appreciate you for being a part of it. Be sure to follow us on your favorite platform for podcasts. You can find the GCP on Locals, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Rumble, and more. And you can always check out gutcheckproject.com to find all episodes and interact with the show. Tell your friends and family not to wait to get Gut Checked.